Yo, 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 what is going on, everybody? Isaac Mashman here, and welcome back to another episode of Chase the Vision with Isaac Mashman, the show that is all about helping you become a more capable individual through sharing my experiences and knowledge in business, life, and personal growth. And today, I have a special, special guest, Bomani Mintz, who is the founder of a social media platform specifically aimed for foodies out there, including coffee drinkers, if any of you are drinking a lot of coffee. And uh, he's somebody who I've been connected with indirectly for some time now, and I've seen the progression of their startup and the progression of this social media app and overall a really, really cool dude. And I was like, man, he has a story to tell. He's got a lot of value to talk about. And uh, I've just, you know, brought him on. So here he is, Bomani. What's going on, brother? What's going on? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I can't wait to uh, to jump in and just talk shop. Really pumped. Yeah. 100%. Well, man, there's so many different ways that we could go about this in so many different directions yeah. and avenues, but let's go ahead and start off with a bang and talk about Crave It. Let's do it. So, so what yeah. is Crave It? How would you define it? What's the elevator pitch? Ooh, elevator pitch. That's good. I don't, I don't take too many elevators these days, but if mm. I wasn't in an elevator and just, you know, I, I call it like park talk here in San Francisco, a lot of people, you know, hang out at parks and you know, ask what, what people do. Um, but Crave It in a nutshell is a, a social app for food lovers and we make it fun and easy to find and share what to eat, what to cook and what's new and what's popping with, with food in general. And it's a platform where you can upload homemade dishes, maybe you're barbecuing, maybe you have family recipes that you want to update all the way to restaurant uh, content where you're eating events, uh, restaurant experiences. So it's truly a social app dedicated to food and all things food, as well as we're seeing coffee drinkers are on there, uh, martini drinkers are on there, cocktail mixers are on there, right? So it's really a platform for food and beverage. And it's, it's fun. It's a great way to build a community with people that share similar interests or like find out new stuff. We were just hearing from a user the other day, like I had posted a, a Burmese meal and they reached out and they're like, I've never had Burmese food before. Like I'm in Denver. I went ahead and found out where my Burmese restaurant was in Denver. And I tried and I'm so glad, like I would have never potentially known or had this food without that. So some exciting stories around that and just, you know, food inspiration and knowledge and, you know, the power of food and, you know, we eat mm -hmm. with our eyes. So Crave, it's, you know, very visual videos and photos of, of food. Well, a, a large part of why I wanted to bring you on was to talk about some of the competitive differences that Crave It has versus some of the other social media apps that are out there. Because, yeah. you know, I have a quote that, that basically goes that competition exists in your head, not in the marketplace. <laughs> like I, I would rather compete with myself than focus yeah. all on everybody else. But from a standpoint, from an objective standpoint, it's good to talk about why would you choose to go out of your way to create a startup and a social media platform specifically for food when Instagram pretty much started out with lifestyle and a lot of people posting, you know, maybe, you know, their email pictures from 2011 and, you know, yeah. photos of their meals and stuff. Why do you think that this was like a, a good move? Like I'm super, I, I want to kind of get into the nitty yeah. gritty of this and, and see what's so interesting because this is also coming from a consumer standpoint of why would I go out of my way to get on another app? Because mm -hmm. I personally seen some benefits, but I'm yeah. curious to see it from your perspective. Yeah. It's, well, to take you back in the story, I was, uh, fairly early on Instagram. Like I had an account within the first year that Instagram was created. And that was an account that I used for food. Cause prior to like Instagram, you know, I was a big Facebook user and I used Facebook to document experiences I had with, you know, friends, family, et cetera. I was sort of that friend that had albums upon albums of, of people, which was awesome during my high school and like early college years, but I was like, you know what? Like I'm gonna use Instagram in a different way. I'm gonna use it just for food. And this was like, when it wasn't cool to take photos and videos of food. Actually, mm. even back then they didn't have videos. So it was just photos of food. People would like laugh and make fun of me. That's weird. Why are you taking photos of food? This was 2011. It wasn't cool back then to take photos of food. But I was like, yo, this is the future. We eat with our eyes. We've all been to um, different restaurants, whether it's a food truck or whatever. And the photos are really shitty. But it's like, imagine if those were good, because that actually showcases what I'm about to eat. And I think we've all been in that situation where we've been at a restaurant, and especially trying something new. If you've never had the food, you have no idea what it looks like. It's kind of weird that we are essentially given ingredients to a menu with a price, and then we have to visualize what the food, you know, is supposed to be like. So, I, you know, 
early on, I was just using Instagram for, for photos. And, you know, throughout my journey, I really dove into the, the food uh, industry. Like I was infatuated just with like the community aspect of food, the photography, the creation, the blood, sweat and tears, you know, the, the stories behind food are just, you know, incredible. It's not random. And, you know, I saw Crave it as a platform to really sort of merge all of the great things about food into one place. And, you know, the reality of the food industry today, as we think about food, there's a couple of different things. You think about Yelp, you think about uh, DoorDash, Uber Eats, you know, there's Open Table. And the reality of the food industry is like, none of those people are focusing on food. If you really think about it, like DoorDash doesn't care about your food. They care about how quickly your food gets. They're not talking mm -hmm. about the dish. Open Table doesn't care about food. They care about butts and seats. How many reservations can I have, right? Yelp doesn't care about food. They care about reviews. And in fact, Yelp is a, a true community platform where you can find your plumbers, dentists. I just, I'm moving down to LA, as you know, found my movers on Yelp. Of course, there's restaurants on Yelp, but that's another catch-all. And then you mentioned, you know, back to like Instagram, like Instagram's great. It's a catch-all. It's, you know, positive in every specific way for, you know, anyone can be on mm -hmm. Instagram and, you know, create a community. But the reality is like community is more focused on niches and what we're seeing across, you know, tech and how things are evolving. People are tired of the catch-all of like, I don't know what I'm going to get. Yeah, that's cool. But it's like, it's random. And we're seeing with this new web 3.0, people are really focused on true communities. You know, one example is like, LinkedIn. When you go to LinkedIn, it's just professionals. You know what you're going to get. When you go to a fitness app called Strava, it's just bikes and runs and hikes. Like that's mm -hmm. what I'm on there for. That's what I'm getting. And there's no succinct platform dedicated to just food and focusing on food. Mm. There's millions of places to find food, Google, Yelp, restaurant reviews, uh, recipes, blog, the list goes on, but it's not succinct. It's very random if anyone that's like tried to discover what they're going to have to eat tonight whether it's a homemade meal or a meal you're going to order out i guarantee you're not using one platform you might go to instagram to look at the beautiful photos yelp for the reviews doordash or reads to order because you don't even know which one it's on you might go to the restaurant website you're going to be using four to eight different sources based on just trying to find what to eat and if you don't believe me try out ordering out this weekend for a friend or something coming into town and asking what they want them uh what they want to eat and i guarantee it won't be that smooth Sheesh. so that's a little bit more why uh, i created and just like my passion for food and community and like you know helping people really find great eats and you know document these eats and um connect with others you know man when we were talking off air and saying this would be a good interview we weren't kidding like you just came oh, into this swing oh, yeah. man. You, you came you came into the fight ko in first 30 seconds i love it i love it well okay i want to touch on something though because you mentioned a good point from a perspective i've never quite viewed it from um which is a lot of these different platforms are niche down and you go to instagram and in a sense you're still following niche accounts and niche interests right the algorithm is yeah, there yeah. to keep you on the platform and i've found that yeah. my explore page gives me the stuff that i like to see you know mm -hmm. and and more recently you know i've been liking a lot of dog photos and cute pictures of cats and stuff like that yeah. and it's like that's what i've been seeing and so yeah, yeah. do you see that there's going to be a trend uh, over the next couple of years to where more and more platforms are going to specifically be popping up on a smaller scale for niche interests similar to crave it and what they're what you're doing with food that's the next 10 years. Yeah, I think the the funny thing about technology and people is that like, it's hard for people to see what's in the future. People are just so focused on like what's right in front of them. But if you do a 10 year step back, it's like Instagram was just coming out. Like Snapchat didn't exist. There's so many of these platforms that we're using today that didn't exist. Unbelievable. And the next 10 years is gonna be wildly different. It's really gonna be more mm -hmm. niche down. We're even seeing that with, um, that financial app called public, which is like, you can uh, showcase the investments that you've made and friends can follow you on that. And you can build a community and ask questions around just like investing and trading, right? That's a community dedicated to, you know, investments, which that hasn't been the case before. That's pretty much been siloed or, you know, coffee shop talk, or, you know, you and some friends get on a phone call and talk about what investments you're making. Or you have a financial advisor, right? So we're seeing like, people are really focused on specific things. They want to just go to one, one place for that. And that doesn't mean like apps are dying or like, you know, it's not popular. It just means like, yo, know, like Instagram's cool if I want my catch all, but then I have three other apps dedicated to these interests and I can 
really deep dive into that interest and really be in that community dedicated to those people that also have a similar feeling about, you know, what it is that, you know, I care about. The evolution of the marketplace. And it's like, so yeah. from, uh, you know, taking a step back, it seems like y'all are actually hopping on the trend before a lot of, a lot of other people are hopping on. And I, I'm thinking <laughs> about Strava because I've yeah. been on Strava for the past three years and I will oh, admit cool. I haven't yeah, uploaded yeah. it nearly as much as I should <laughs> lately, yeah, but yeah. I will say that when I'm uploading and stuff like that, I have the highest engagement on Strava than any mm. other social media platform. And I mean, it's specifically for tracking workouts and things of that yeah. nature, but I don't know anybody I'm connected with. I think I have like 400 followers there and I'm following like a yeah. thousand and uh, my engagement's higher on that platform. And I think that that That's demonstrates so a direct reflection of the engagement yeah. rate. And so I could see definitely the engagement rate and the community building aspect from an app, like let's, let's take Crave It to actually yeah. be higher because people automatically have the interest. You're not siphoning through a hundred different people to find the 10 people who have the same interests as you. You're automatically right. being connected with people of interest. That's a really yeah. interesting aspect. So what have you seen so far, like interesting trends with how the users are using the platform? Because Crave It is in a very early stage right now of like just like public beta, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. it's moving, y'all are moving uh, forward quick. Yeah, yeah, we haven't even... We're almost public beta. I always feel like it's like public closed beta. Um, public closed beta, okay. <laughs> yeah, so funny, you know, the different terms. But I feel like, um, you know, what's been interesting about Crave is, uh, and we can go into this later, but the how it's evolved, you know, because what's interesting to see is that the pandemic changed a lot of things last year for multiple reasons and uh, different industries and, and all of that. Uh, and I like to see it as like what I like to call the restaurant renaissance. And basically what ended up happening last year, both people that were in the food business industry, as well as like, you know, just normal people for food lovers, like you and I, like people were forced to do stuff they didn't want to do. So like, for example, a lot of people became, uh, home cooks because like, they either didn't want to order delivery or the restaurants were closed. So they were forced to. So that also helped with recipe creation, right? And excitement around trying new things, new recipes. Same thing happened in the food business, right? Maybe you weren't able to have your restaurant open, but people were selling stuff out of their house. So they created new things. And what's interesting that I've seen about Crave It is like, initially we weren't trying to have people upload homemade meals. That was something that we wanted to do, you know, further down the road, but we decided for like this early access private beta to like, let's just see, let's have both. And what's been really interesting is that people are uploading a lot of homemade and also restaurant oriented food, but people in the community, especially with the homemade are inspired by other people. And I see it in, in comments and chats, like I'm having that this weekend, or I'm going to try this recipe, right. Or I'm going to try this food, which is really cool. Cause again, like it's one thing to be like, oh, we're community, community, community. But then it's like, it's another thing where the people in the community are actually getting value and showcasing and commenting and saying that. Right which has been really cool. Um, and just like a lot of people have like good homemade stuff. And then like, if it's from like the New York times or any uh, other sort of uh, cooking or blogs, people mm -hmm. are putting those links in there. So now it's recipe creation and sharing, which if we all know, like trying to find a good recipe, like where do you start? There's thousands of results on Google. Then like, how do you know if it's good? And then the recipes in and of itself, like we've all seen people's life story. And then there's like, you know, then it talks about like the ingredients and all that, but like, it's, it's just sort of a black hole. This is like, Hey, photo or video first. Does this whet my appetite? Cool. Let me get the link. Right. So mm -hmm. it has a whole new meaning, but it's, it's awesome to see people are uploading different types of content, which means it's valuable for at home as well as going out. So realistically, like they can use Crave it for any type of food situation. At the you moment. know, and, and this actually goes to, to speak about personal branding. We can't have an interview, not talk about personal branding in yeah, 2021. Yeah. Um, people are more likely to trust a person who they can relate to and see and like see yeah. instances of their life. Yeah, yeah. And so although we're not maybe, you know, following the person and getting to know their kids and the, what their dog's name is, we're still right. following what kind of food they have. And then that you could see patterns maybe develop with what they post, what they like, what totally. they drink, what they eat. And then from there, we're more likely to actually try those foods because we know, like, and trust that person. And so that's a, exactly. that's an interesting way to establish community and even get connected on a deeper level versus these wide ranging social media platforms. And to talk about yeah. trends because of the pandemic, you know, normally it's something, when I first started doing these interviews again, I was thinking, I was like, man, I don't want to do these interviews and talk about the pandemic. But what I'm starting to notice is that 
it's unavoidable at this point because of how many trends <laughs> right. it has disrupted and how disruptive it was, you know, over the past 12 right. to 24 months. Um, and we've seen these different, I guess, I don't even know what term you could, could use a white label or whatever, but take Mr. Beast, for example, he launched the Mr. Beast burger line or whatever, when the past couple of months, I don't know if you're aware of that yeah. to where I don't even know where I'm getting the food. It's from a restaurant, but it's yeah. like, I don't know what restaurant is actually making these burgers and then sending it out. And then right. we, there's another local place where I'm at called It's Just Wings. And there's no uh -huh. physical location. Yeah. From what my girlfriend was telling me, it's actually developed through Chili's. Like the Chili's founder was like, let's do this online brand, this separate brand yeah. for online orders, specifically focused around wings and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. you're kidding me. And I yeah. think that that's a trend. And that could be some, some way that Crave It can kind of play in to be like, should you exactly. order from this brand? Like, where does this food even come from? So super, yeah. super excited to see the evolution of that. And now you got started with this in 2019. And previous to Crave It, you were working at LinkedIn. I know you touched on LinkedIn yeah. a minute ago. And so I want to yeah, talk yeah. about that too, because it seems like whenever somebody talks to somebody who's from like one of those big tech giants, it's like, uh -huh. we want to get the insider secrets. We want to get the scoop yeah. of how does it actually I'm, I'm behave on the back end. Yeah, I mean, was LinkedIn it like? was, it was the most incredible company that I've worked for other than my, my own company, Crave It. And it just really... Uh, made a huge impact in like my career. So like what I haven't shared that, that I'll share now is like coming to San Francisco and working for LinkedIn wasn't random. I actually just started building a food app in 2014 in Houston, oh. Texas, where I was living. So this has been like a seven and a half year okay. journey. Wow. Yeah. So I, uh, I was in Texas, realized I hit a glass ceiling. I was working in oil and gas. Uh, specifically like in recruiting, because I just love helping people find jobs and really, you know, uh, change their lives because, you know, helping people get new jobs and making more money really does mm -hmm. make an impact on people's lives. And um, I was a huge avid LinkedIn user. One of my uh, best friends, girlfriends at the time got a job at LinkedIn. And I was like, oh my gosh, that I got to get out there. You know, I was watching Bloomberg West and I was like, you know, I hit a ceiling in Texas there's not really any tech like Austin wasn't popping off the way it is now. And like Houston was mainly just oil and gas. So I was like, I need to get out to the West coast to a, like work in tech, know what it's like to work in tech and B to start my own food tech company. Like I need to work in tech before I do that. Um, I was blessed enough to get referred by her to LinkedIn. So that started my tech journey in 2015. So I was at LinkedIn for four and a half years, incredible journey, just like, really believe in the mission, the culture, the values, the people there, like really changing the world, uh, the most intelligent people I've ever worked with, and also the most open-minded people. And not just like in San Francisco, I'm talking like globally, like the way they hire at LinkedIn is like the cream of the crop. And everyone that mm. uses LinkedIn that goes to other big tech companies, startups always says like the culture and the people at LinkedIn is unlike any other company they've ever worked for. Mm. And I think that really shaped me in my career as far as like how to treat people, how to work together, how to really believe in a mission and vision and execute that on a daily basis. And then also like what it's like to, um, you know, have a large company, but also have the resources sort of, cause I worked in many different business lines at LinkedIn and also have the backing of feeling like a startup and being scrappy and doing stuff for the first time and scaling out global solutions and stuff. So it was like amazing. Some of my best friends now, like I met at LinkedIn and it's not like that kind of culture where it's like, hey, what's up? I see you at work. We're not hanging out. Like the majority of my time at Link, uh, in San Francisco, like all my roommates and I either worked up on the same team or like were like really close pretty much uh, as far as like next team and everything. So it was you know, incredible experience. I wouldn't be where I am today without LinkedIn. What made that culture different? Because that's, this is something that I'm seeing yeah, more yeah. and more people starting to come to understand and talk about the company culture. It's like establishing oh, the values, amazing. establishing yeah. the vision. Now it's really easy to come up with a list of different values and like, okay, this is what we stand for. And that's what I just did for Mash Adventures. Like, can't yeah. lie. Like that's, that is important. But at the yeah, end of the yeah. day, there's a lot more that goes in, into that. So what was so different? I mean, whatever you could talk about, um, yeah. you know, pertaining to how they were building the culture and how that impacted you outside of the company as well, hanging out with friends, going out for drinks, maybe with other people who were on the team. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of companies have sort of like pillars or, or culture and values that they 
want to implement mm -hmm. but the reality of it is it takes a village to actually implement those cultures and values in companies and it takes the leadership the ability to trickle that down to different you know managers departments etc so like one of the biggest examples you know at linkedin is like the ceo every time we opened up with all hands or for those people that uh, are listening that don't know what all hands is it's basically like company meetings i'm not i'm not really sure why they call it all hands like i i was telling my team the other day we should call it all heads because it's like you know people are sad versus like, all hands on deck maybe yeah yeah that's that's where it comes from it's kind of funny though you know but um every meeting, every company meeting, he always opened up with our mission and vision, every single meeting, mm. like without fail. So that was one way, right? Which then resonated down to VP, director, manager. Within LinkedIn, um, there were multiple cultures and values. And those cultures and values were like, basically set on a daily basis, not in like a, a brainwash or like making fun of them, but just like one example is like relationships matter. Right. So what that means is like, hey, you know, the company you have is the company that you keep. And if you want to get promoted, if you want to try something else, like you have to build relationships. So it seems like, oh, that's simple. Like that's not really a culture value. But that was like one of the reasons why I performed well at LinkedIn. And also a lot of people knew me at LinkedIn because like I wanted to network and meet as many people as I as I wanted, you know. Well, I mean, and, that's how you got the job to begin with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's a perfect testament. Everybody complains how difficult it is to find a job. And that's why yeah. you need to go out of your way and connect with the people who work there and build up those exactly. relationships, like, and yeah. build up genuine relationships with them too. Don't, don't just like connect with somebody just to use them, but connect totally. with them and also see what you can do to provide value from, you know, a, a different yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, that was a big one. Like, uh, humor is like really a funny one, but it's like, don't take things like be serious, but don't think, take things so seriously. So a lot mm -hmm. of people have like a funny sense of humor, like at LinkedIn, even though it was like serious, it was like, you know, you can have meetings and just be like straight to point, but there's a way in which you can finesse and have humor into serious stuff. And that was also something implemented in like culture and values. Um, so that those are some examples of like how it shaped me as like a founder and like the company that I'm creating. It's like, what did I learn from LinkedIn, from culture to values and how can I apply that to what I'm building, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it was just an all around healthy environment um, for sure that I, that I was a part of. I was very thankful because I've been in so many unhealthy environments and you, you, you know when you're in an unhealthy environment. <laughs> yeah, you just get, you, you have that gut feeling. Now, yeah. interesting though, because social media seems so distant and cold. You know, if we, if we think about how they actually are um, on the yeah. back end of the people who are working for the companies, it's like to actually be able to portray that culture. Because LinkedIn is, is, for the most part, a very welcoming, um, mm -hmm. you know, platform compared to some of these other ones like Twitter. That's just completely toxic if you're into the wrong trends. But um, uh -huh. no, no, I appreciate you sharing that, brother. Now, I want to talk about, you know, what makes you unique, though, because... We could talk about Crave it all day. We could talk about LinkedIn all day, but I want people to actually get to get to know you as Bomani because yeah. that right there is how people actually stay connected and why people even want to mm. try out platforms. I, I got on the platform yeah. because I saw Ish was working for the platform. You know, yeah, shout out yeah. to Ish Verdusco who also worked yeah. at LinkedIn. And he's one of those guys that you randomly, that I randomly got connected with. And I started following him and I'm like, this is a dude who actually talks about real, real shit. I, I like yeah. the guy. So yeah, yeah, um, that's awesome. where, where do you grow up? Texas? Yeah. Okay. No. So my, uh, oh. yeah, my upbringing is pretty, uh, it's interesting in the sense of like, so I was born, um, June 4th, 1990, I'm about to be 31 in uh, two, like a week and a half. <laughs> and, uh, I was born in DC, uh, George Washington hospital. And, uh, I'm one of three siblings. I'm the oldest brother. All of my other, uh, siblings are three years apart. And uh, yeah, I grew up in DC uh, for a little bit. I actually moved to Africa for five years. I lived in Zimbabwe in Harare. I learned how to swim in Zimbabwe. I was at a, a private international school. Um, and why that's relevant is because when we moved back, because my, my dad was a management consultant. So he has like international projects that he works on uh, for like pu public infrastructure for, uh, of companies. We were there for a couple of years moved back to DC. And then after that moved to Northern Virginia. And I started like my stint of working, living in Northern Virginia, which is basically like, you know, depending upon where you live, like anywhere from 
15 to, you know, 30 to 45 minutes outside of DC. So very close to DC. It wasn't like I was in the sticks, but um, I learned, I was a swimmer and I'll never forget like one of my uh, substitutes in first grade, her name was Mrs. Coffee. And she was like, Hey, like, do you have any plans for the summer? Like, are you doing summer camps, you know, uh, any sports leagues? And I was like, yeah, I'm doing summer camp. But she was like, you should come swim. And I started competitively swimming when I was six and I learned how to swim in Africa. So I kind of had a little bit of a leg up because in gym class in Africa, we would have a pool at school and just like practice Mm. swimming. But that started like my competitive swimming career. So I started competitively swimming since I was six. I stopped competitively swimming when I was 20, 21. So you can imagine that was, you know, a long time, but that's, that's honestly where I learned my grit and hard work and goal setting. Cause like a swimming is extremely difficult. It's disciplined. And like, I was swimming like over 24 hours a week, you know, just with practice six days a week, uh, two to three days, there were doubles. So that was like five and a half hours, six hour days of swimming with weightlifting too. Um, so that sort of taught me like resilience, how to work hard. If you do what you set your mind to, you can get at things. But meanwhile, while this was all going on, like my dad was big into technology. So like I was blessed to grow up with like, uh, I still remember like a Palm Pilot, um, the first iMac, um, you know, iPods, iPhones. And I like was infatuated with technology and he would show me all this technology, but like living in the DC area, like it didn't dawn or occur to me like, oh, like there's technology jobs. It was just more of like, oh, like, you know, if you're in technology, you have to be like a software engineer and like, you know, that's it. But I love them. Like, um, I loved apps. I had the first iPhone, like I was just always infatuated with it. And then, um, you know, Facebook came around and that was like the coolest thing. Um, I was big AIMer, but like I use Facebook as like documenting my life, as I sort of mentioned earlier. But again, like I wasn't making that connection of like, oh, there's jobs at these companies that I was just a user, literally a user of the platform. Like a lot of us that don't like really be like, whoa, like these tech companies are huge. There's so many different opportunities to work. Like it's not just engineering. Um, so I, yeah, I grew up infatuated with technology, but I also was like very infatuated with like music and just like creation. Um, like my first love was actually fashion. Like I wanted to be a fashion designer. I like design clothes. And in college, I like created my own line, Bomani Mints, which I still might create and like launch. That but... sounds like a designer brand, man. Now that you yeah, mentioned yeah, it, I guess so. now that you say it, I want I want everything. I want the first drop. <laughs> I got you, man. I got you. So I, uh, yeah, I was just sort of like, I was more creative than I thought. And like, you know, I went to school, I did marketing, then I switched to PR, then went back to marketing. I wanted to go into fashion, but my dad stopped me because he was like, you know, if you go into fashion, you're pigeonholed. And if you're only in that world, you can't, you know, go into something else. At the time, I was like, he doesn't know what he's talking about, but I ended up going back and doing business. And, um, you know, that's sort of like the story in which I became like really interested in creative stuff. And like someone that really changed my life um, was Kanye West. Mm. And the reason Kanye West really changed my life was like, this was, this was, you know, um, years and years ago, but like, I basically learned from Kanye, like, you can be whoever you are and don't matter what, it doesn't matter what people think of you, just be your authentic self. And I carried that throughout, you know, all of these different years, you know, I mentioned like people were laughing at me because I was taking photos of food. Now everyone's taking photos of food, right? Mm-hmm. But like, that wasn't hip, but like, I didn't, like that wasn't stopping me from doing it because people were like making fun of me. Um, but that person, like he made a pivotal impact in my life. And those people who are Kanye West fans know that you're really more of a fan of yourself if you're a Kanye West fan. And it helps, you know, believe in who you are and who you want to become. Um, so that really shaped me as an individual with tech, with the swimming, um, just being like creative. And like, in fact, my first, my last year in college, like one of my buddies and I tried to create an app and like, I thought I was going to work there full time. Um, it was basically like Groupon mixed with Twitter. So it's like daily deals that we had in Richmond, Virginia, where I went to college and um, it ended up not like panning out. I ended up, you know, moving to Texas after graduation, but yeah, I was like a little bit of my life, but you know, I was also like taking photos of food and like, I didn't realize how much that would materialize until I moved to Texas. And that's when my love of food just like mm. exploded with just the different cuisines, the culture. And I became infatuated. Like I was 
working at any company possible for events, catering on the side, just to literally get a taste of like food. And then that's kind of when I was like, yo, like I'm inspired by Chef's Feed, which is basically like a social app for chefs where you can see like what they like to eat and where they like to go and taste made. And I was like, yo, I can create my own platform dedicated to food. So that's where it all kind of like evolved from with years of just like in the back of my mind, thinking about tech, being inspired by community, like wanting to help people all the way to like, you know, loving food and um, wanting to build my own like company. I've always wanted to build my own company. Now, who is your favorite chef? You touched on that. Who's my favorite chef? It's a really hard question. Mm. I have so much respect for David Chang. Um, I would say he's sort of my favorite at the moment. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Just like his presence and like the way in which he is making food uh, cool and less uh, stale in the sense of like, um, what's a good example? Like he's not making it stuffy. Mm. And what I mean by that is like, you know, it's, it's kind of like the um, food, food's kind of like the wine industry, which is evolving right now. So like wine, as we all know, is, is, is stuffy, you know, uh, it's, and people, a lot of people don't know like what the wines are and stuff, but it's, it's, it's a stuffy thing. It's like highbrow, you have to dress. Yeah, sommelier like, sniffing the wines yeah, and swirling that, it. Yeah. Like I yeah. get that, but it's also like, it also doesn't have to be like that. Right? Exactly. And David Chang has that. Uh, ability to have yes highbrow high class stuff but he also has shows like ugly delicious where he's just like going around eating food having good conversations like it's not high class places but like mm-hmm. that's a lot of the way in which we all eat not everyone goes to these high class places all the time so it just makes it like more bare bones more accessible more of like hey like this is real life like you know the best tacos doesn't have to be from like an upscale taco place in LA like it's on the corner right here that like isn't on Yelp or Google. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. that's a neighborhood spot, but these tacos are like, you know, the best. So it's like really cool to see. And we're seeing that happen a lot more now, um, which is cool. You know, I think Anthony Bourdain did a really good job with elevating the food game as far as from a cultural perspective of what we've missed, but David Chang style is a little bit different, but it's like, you need those Anthony Bourdain's to sort of break down those barriers for people to feel comfortable and to really like, express themselves so that's sort of a long-winded answer (laughs) i'm nodding my head because i'm honestly don't know who anthony bourdain is i I probably want to people are going to message me and be like isaac you need to get your shit together but all um, you gotta do is uh he's uh unfortunately he's not alive anymore uh he passed away like two and a half years ago um but yeah look him up he is like a big pioneer and just like food and, and travel and culture because sure. my my bland answer is gordon ramsay <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's that's my bland answer of who, hey, who's you your know, favorite chef that's okay chef ramsay chef yeah, ramsay yeah, that's okay that's okay you know talking about that stigma though i think crave it you know being a platform you know okay this is this is a good topic to talk about instagram yeah. everybody has this the picture has to be high quality. We have to add a filter. We have to make sure the exposure is right to where that particle of mozzarella cheese and that pizza stands yeah. out amongst the rest. And that pepperoni is bright red. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that can also contribute to the stigma behind that upper class, you know, sort of mentality of like, let's say you go to Hell's Kitchen or one of the best restaurants in the world. If you look at their social media feed, it's going to be nothing but high quality. You know, the photographers mm-hmm. using a, a $10,000 camera to take photos yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of the food. Now, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but Crave uh-huh. it actually allowing the consumers to post content on a specific platform and application without having to. We were talking about this off air on our last call about how yeah. I'm not building a personal brand based around food, but this is allowing me to post food to connect with my audience in a way that is completely different and also tap into a new audience. And so, you know, maybe right. allowing that and becoming, a, making it a little bit more accessible to people and also using it as a dream building experience. It's a really interesting, um, you know, I guess you could say part of the trend that, that Crave It can yeah. play, man. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. that you quit LinkedIn because I Thank can tell you. that you are a, a life-blooded you. entrepreneur just based off of the way that, you know, a lot of yeah. entrepreneurs, man, they can't sit still. You know, mm-hmm. like they, they can't right. sit still. They yeah, have a yeah. bunch of different dif- different things that they have going on. And so yeah, yeah. when was your earliest entrepreneur venture like growing up? Like what, what age were you yeah. at? Yeah, I'm trying to think. 
the first there's been a lot i feel the first one that i was highly considering was like my freshman year in college one of my friends um had a uh it was called heads up inflatables it was out of uh louisville kentucky and it was uh, it was inflatables company so you know we had mm-hmm. like the bouncy gyms or whatever and he was he was open to like having me operate the business in Virginia and start it. And I, I ended up not doing it, but that was one of the first ones I was like very serious, like had Excel spreadsheets, was looking at like some of his financials, talking about marketing, uh, costs for setting up the business and all of that. So that was like, that was one of the first. The other one was like fashion, as I mentioned before, like trying to pursue that. And actually this is sort of like a side note, but like, my dad really discouraged me from pursuing fashion mm-hmm. and I'll never make that mistake again. Cause like now it's like, you know, that I could have gone in that direction, but I didn't. But like, that's another reason why that kind of lights the fire under my ass now is like, yo, like I, like I'm doing what I want to do moving forward. It's like my life, you know? Um, and there was a couple other things. Like I, like, I'm more so of like, in like, an inventor, so to speak. Like I'll think of different things and um, uh, yeah, I'll think of different things Mm -hmm. and like think about like business opportunities around them. But ever since, like, honestly, ever since I discovered food, that's like, that's like my life's work. Like that is how I want to change the world. Cause if I can change the world through what I'm building now, like not only sky's the limit, but the plan is to operate and have so many different resources accessible and available for other people. Going back to that, I like uplifting people. I like giving them jobs. Like this will provide a means to an end to do that as well as like helping out, you know, some of the global starvation that's like near and dear to my heart too. And making sure everyone at least has like two meals a day to eat, you know, so oh, absolutely. fully focus absolutely. on the food <laughs> at the moment, now- you know, probably my life's work though. Honestly, I can't imagine oh. not doing it. I want to come back and talk about that in a, in a couple yeah. of minutes because philanthropy is something I could definitely see Craven playing a big part in too. And yeah. I know that that I'm, I'm sounding here like a salesman for Craven. I have a tendency to do that when I'm talking talking about things that I believe in, just because yeah, I get yeah. like I become passionate about things that I, I see the vision. You know, I become part of the vision where it's like, you know, right. I can I can see this. Like, uh, let let me go and jump on the ship really quick. You know, pull pull my yeah. boat to the side and hop on board. Um, you swam for nearly like almost a decade. You said that you quit swimming and like competitively when you're like 21. Yeah. Why didn't you go pro and like pursue the Olympics or pursue like one of the swimming leagues or something like that? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a long story short. I wasn't good enough. (laughs) Mm. I also like, um, yeah, I wasn't good enough and I wasn't like passionate about swimming uh, as like a lifelong career um like I coached I coached and did lifeguarding and stuff which was like cool but like I never was like this is the path like for me like I had dreams early on of like going to the Olympics like I remember my first uh am screen name um was swimmer 2008 because I was graduating high school in 2008 in the 2008 Olympics but I, I was never fast enough to to like get to that level nor did I like yeah, just it wasn't it wasn't like something that I was really really trying to you know pursue. I almost wanted to always another reason why I moved to LA, but I always wanted to be in some sort of like impactful role of like entertainment or or something absolutely public speaking something like that. You know, that's where I sort of saw myself, especially like growing up watching it, um, MTV. You know, it was just uh, that's sort of where I saw myself. So yeah, like didn't see myself long-term like being in swimming, which is why like I was transitioning so focused on business. Say long-term, yet you were involved with swimming for over a decade. Why do you stay involved <laughs> with it for so long if you kind of knew towards the end and like probably halfway through that, like, hey, I don't think I'll go pro, but I'm, I'm gonna stick with it. What was the, the idea behind that? Yeah, I think a lot of swimmers go through this. I think partly like the big reason to stick with swimming is like people and especially like swimmers parents, they want their uh, kids to get scholarships into good schools Mm. and have tuition reduced. Um, Plus like, that's kind of like the path, you know? And then like, if you're good enough, yeah. Like you go to the, you know, Olympic trials, go to the Olympics, but that's like 
a very small percentage. It's so hard because swimming is like literally by the milliseconds. It's not, it's, you know, it's kind of like track where it's like someone beats you a millisecond. Like that's the difference between it's over and second. Yeah. Right. So it's a very hard, um, it's a very hard, rigorous sport. And it's like, you just kind of get burnt out um, after a while. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a lot of swimmer stories. If you, if you talk to them, um, they end up like, you know, quitting. I mean, like I'll still swim every now and then, but it, like, it always feels like work. Mm. <laughs> it never is like, Oh, I just want to, you know, swim today. And it's like, all right, like I'll swim for a workout. I feel good. But like, you know, we're just programmed that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So going to crave it, you talk about the, the hunger crisis, you know, crossed not even just the world but all, even in the united states back at oh, home i don't yeah, think a lot of people yeah, understand yeah. how many kids go to school and don't have lunch or don't have breakfast and it's like mm-hmm. that's the only meal and that's another aspect of the pandemic people don't talk about they don't talk about the kids that that don't have food that were relying on school lunches to to go yeah, in and feed them so they had food exactly. in their stomach so yeah. now to get to that point though there has to be a business model and it has to be sustainable right so you guys are in a position where you're able to give back also from a brand standpoint but also from a financial mm-hmm. standpoint what's the business model for crave it because this is something a lot of people are interested in when it comes to social media networks and when it comes to applications like is it a microtransactional business model is mm. are you guys running ads like and even then what is going to be different compared to you guys than the next two yeah i won't share too much on the business model i'll, I'll give some i'll give some insights into like how we're thinking about the business model yeah yeah, yeah. whatever you're make, comfortable with man yeah and I'll, <clears throat> I'll make some parallels so like uh a lot of a lot of uh, social apps, um, as we all know, monetize via ads, right? Mm-hmm. And that's great. Um, that that that's awesome. That's a huge business, as we all know. Um, Instagram, I think, last year, last quarter, I think last year did 150 billion in ads, right? Great business um, in and of itself. And um, that's one path. Um, one of the, another reason, another thing that I learned at LinkedIn. And this goes back into diving deeper into niches is that a lot of people don't know this, but so we know that LinkedIn is the largest network for professionals. LinkedIn is essentially a niche for professionals for, you know, any sort of industry, right? Great niche. The other piece that a lot of people don't know is LinkedIn has five different business lines. So it's five different ways to make money and each business line has multiple products. And that's a testament of being focused on a niche and diving deeper into a revenue model. Because a lot of investors or people in general was like, what's the one business model that you make money? What's the one thing? And really powerful companies have multiple ways to collect revenue. Because the reality is if one of your revenue engines gets hit, you have other ones to subside it. But if you only have one, that is like your hope and prayer day in and day out. And if that doesn't work and that's backtracking, backtracking, the business isn't safe. And then you might have to think of other revenue models. Um, So with Crave It, you know, there's multiple ways for us to really make an impact. There's opportunities for ads. There's opportunities for data consulting based on food trends. There's opportunities to create unique content, right? And license that content. There's opportunities for freemium models to be able to do transactions through our platform. Right. So there's multiple ways in which we're thinking about generating revenue with the business. Uh, But that's the beautiful thing. It's not just like one path. And within that becomes multiple ways in which we can, you know, impact the world in and of itself and be partners to local food banks or local um, restaurants that give away food to provide a means to be able to help those people in the community get access to, you know, additional resources and making it really easy for those people to, to get access. Cause the reality is we all eat and we have, I mean, we have to, whether it's one meal a day or three, you know, depending mm-hmm. upon uh, who we are. Uh, but there's no shortage of ways to monetize the business. I think as we grow and evolve, like data will help us pick the first path but uh, yeah, it's sort of a little bit of how we're thinking about the, the revenue models. Yeah, within within the business. You know, as a way to incentivize it, I want to talk about this and bring it up in the interview if the interview wasn't going uh, to be released a couple of weeks later. But <laughs> here's an idea for creators and stuff like that yeah. to where what if you were to allow 
people who are on the app to actually have a feature called like buy my next meal or something like that. And the creator could actually choose to, you know, put the price of how much this meal was. And that would be a thank you for posting the meal. Or what you could also have is a feature to where they could say, buy my next meal or buy, buy somebody else's next meal and have that have hundred percent of the proceeds minus the mm-hmm. transaction fee go towards a charity to where people within the app are able yeah. to support the community and generate revenue for creators or also the charities, even on a small scale, as you guys grow up that's an idea in itself right there as a way to because creators man i've seen so many different social media apps come and go and a lot of the times why they don't succeed is because of the people on it because the people the influencers the people who have the largest platforms and i don't see crave it being like an influencer dominated platform Mm -hmm. which is something that's a blessing in today's world because everybody's fighting for that you know air air, air time that that Mm -hmm. space but um no thank you for sharing that and that that, that's a large reason why with my personal brand and whenever i work with clients and say you need to be on more platforms than just Facebook, my friend. You know, Facebook yeah. disappears tomorrow. You're screwed. It's like, right. you know, you have no brand. You have no security. And then going back to, you know, the business model, and you mentioned finding one niche and diving deep, you know, finding the public relations industry. How many different ways can I monetize this? And then from there, right. you get really good at one thing. Then that's when you can focus on, you know, taking over the world, you know, taking over the exactly. entire monopoly board. And so um, that's a, a phenomenal, exactly. phenomenal right. insight. So Talk about going and, and moving to San Francisco. Now, San Francisco is yeah, obviously yeah. not one of the cheapest places to live in. Oh, yeah, and yet you're yeah. moving to LA, which is also uh, not one of the cheapest <laughs> places to live in. What's influencing yeah. your decision to move from San Francisco down to LA? Oh, so many things, man. Um, I've been dreaming about living in LA since I was in elementary school, ever since I was watching like Brink on Disney Channel and like Rocket Power and I think the Mighty Ducks even had, yeah, they did. They were down in like Anaheim, um, Orange County. So like being an East Coaster, that was like one thing um, that that was that's drawing me to LA that's been like decades. It's kind of funny because I moved to Texas and then moved to California. So I've been creeping, getting closer. Creeping closer your way to, slowly, but sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing, honestly, is um, a lot of my closest friends in SF um, have either moved to LA or are born and raised LA and moved back. So another mm. big thing for me is community. As I'm getting older, like you realize, like you want to be around people that you love and care about. And sometimes people move back, as we all know, to see family um, if they've moved somewhere to come back, right? And you know, I have a, a large community down in LA, and people that I actually grew up with in the DC area live in LA and San Diego right now. So again, it's like being closer. Um, killer food scene um international city very close to entertainment there's some opportunities we have in entertainment that we'll be doing with crave it Um, cheap flights yeah cheap flights cheaper than san francisco more space better weather um and it's it seems a little bit more attainable to to build a life uh down there um if that's like the you know the next step um but you know nothing's permanent we'll we're gonna give la a run for its money and you know see um how it goes and um, those are some of the things that are like influencing my decision um down uh to move down to la and have hq right. down there yeah. right stay there for for a little while see how it goes Miami's a good move too. florida what most people yeah. don't understand about florida is there's no income tax you don't have to pay any corporate tax until you get to a certain point and then you have to pay that, but there's no S corp tax, nothing like that. It's very business friendly, yeah. cheaper. Um, you know, and then I, I don't know, I'm, I personally, Miami's going to be the move for me long-term of like, nice. where I could definitely That's see great. like growing, yeah, growing yeah. HQ, man. I've loved the interview so far. And, and I want to get a little bit deep and personal about the struggles. Now yeah, you yeah. had this idea for a social media platform or for an app based platform targeting food for, you know, yeah, six, yeah. seven years now. Totally. What has been the biggest yeah, struggle yeah. to this? And why did it take so damn long? I think the biggest struggle is like, um, the biggest struggle is the facade of how easy it is to build something from scratch and the reality of how hard it really is and how you truly have to be passionate. Because I think honestly, that's why a lot of, you know, arguably a lot of startups fail because of capital and you know a lot of other reasons but like if you're not like obsessing about it uh it's already so hard to do it that you know you're gonna give up because like the reality of nine to five is way easier than like trying to build a startup or dedicating your life to it but i think like 
my my struggles now are different than when I initially started. So like one of my initial struggles was like when I first moved to San Francisco, first of all, I was like broke. So like I went from living in Texas in the top floor overlooking a pool, brand new apartment, $700 in rent. I had my own bathroom, bedroom, split it with two other roommates, moved to San Francisco, uh, slept on my friend's couch that referred me, then moved into a, uh, a high-rise building. I was paying $1,400 of rent uh, to sleep on an air mattress and to share a room. And we didn't have any cable or internet in the apartment because my roommates at that time didn't want to get it. So one of the big things that was challenging outside of like having a bad living situation um, was that, and I've said this before, like uh, at that time, I still think it's, it's true today, this day, if not worse, like San Francisco and uh, LA are very similar in the sense of the Hollywood appeal. So like a lot of people go to LA to do entertainment and like that's where the hot people are with the industry, right? So similar to San Francisco, it's like people come here to work in tech and to make money to try and change the world. And here I come 2015, you know, excited to be in San Francisco, working at LinkedIn, and I want to build a food tech company. So I'm eager to talk to as many people in product engineering, you name it, because I want to find like a co-founder. I want to start building this app that I've been starting to dream about. I had like wireframes, which are just like digital drawings on a notebook paper at that time. And the experience that I had was way different than I thought. As, as you know, I'm a big networker and like I thought it wouldn't be easy to find someone to help build it, but I didn't think it would be hard because you throw a rock down the street and you hit an engineer in, in California here in San Francisco. The reality of it, a lot of people did not want anything to do with it. No one wanted to basically help. Um, and it was very challenging to find someone, uh, even multiple people to like talk to about the idea, see if they were interested. And I kind of feel like that's similar in Hollywood. It would be like me, like, going up to Robert De Niro and being like, I've got this great script. You can be an actor. He's like, who the hell are you? Like, no one knows you. Yeah, why literally. would I waste my time? Like, I have plenty of money. I have a great career. Like, why would I risk that on like you? You know, that was the same experience I was getting as, uh, with engineers and like trying to build my team um, from day one. And I think a lot of that uh, happened throughout my first trials of the company is like finding the right people. Because the reality is a lot of people don't want to work more than their nine to five. And even if they do, they want to be compensated. But I really couldn't compensate anybody because I didn't have that much money. And I was asking them to work essentially like 12 hour days, right? Like you're going to do your nine to five and then you're going to come and we're going to work together for three or four hours. That takes a certain type of individual and the pool just completely narrows, right? So that's sort of what you're working with. Um, unless like you're best friend or coworker is in love with you and the idea. And they're like, you know, let's just do this. But that's not the reality of a lot of things. Um, so that was like the first trial and tribulation was just, just trying to find a team. Second piece, once I like found my co my ex-co-founder at the time and I found somebody, they ended up not delivering on the projects. And we went through three backend developers, five designers, yeah, and then I had a co-founder exit until I was able to build my team. So this was like a continuous thing because, again, like the team is so important. It takes a village to build. And like if you don't have the right people in place, like it's it's going to end up not working. And people don't realize like how long that really takes to develop those relationships. Sometimes it happens by fluke. But anyway, we went through a lot of, you know, trials and tribulations. So I was able to find, you know, my team. So that was the initial struggle. And you hear that from a lot of founders that are trying to start tech companies is like, how do I pick a co-founder? How do I find a co-founder? How do I find an engineer? Um, that's That was like the hardest part. Cause like, you know, without that, you really can't move forward. And um, that's one of the biggest tr tricks. And like, then you have to maintain the team that you've built, which is a whole completely separate topic in and of itself. You got some thick ass skin. <laughs> you got some <laughs> thick skin, man. So aside from obviously it being your passion is something you believe yeah. in why the hell did you not give up? Because people don't understand how competitive and how difficult yeah. California really is. Like mm -hmm. if you go to LA, you walk down Hollywood Boulevard, 
nobody cares that you're a creator. You're like every other right. person walking on Hollywood Boulevard, yeah, 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 dancing yeah. to TikTok videos on, on yeah, top of a star. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you're not any different. So right. why didn't you give up? I didn't give up because I like was my I knew it was my life's work. I was okay. so bullish. I knew I could change the world. I knew this is something that needed to be that needed to be done. Um, you made the decision. I, That's yeah, what I it was. Decision. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want I want to see it. Like nothing's worse than like thinking about something and then not acting and regretting. Mm-hmm. I'd rather like fall on my face, fail, be like I put everything I could, and that was that. And like still to this day, I I feel like I haven't done that yet. Like you know, win or lose, like I'm I'm still in it. Like we're just uh, we're just getting started. But well, a lot I'm of thankful people, to have the opportunity to get started too. You know, uh, man, thank you for being so vulnerable though. Because yeah, something yeah. I've been asking every single person who comes on board: Why haven't they given up? Why haven't they given up? Why haven't you given up? How have you become successful? It all narrows down to making a decision, and this is something I've seen in my own life starting to develop. Because a lot of the people I started with didn't really progress, you know, and I'm saying this out of love. I'm saying this out of like looking at where they were and then where they're at now. It's like everything that they said they didn't do. And I'm like, what, yeah. what, what's the differentiating factor here? And it goes back to making a decision to do it. And now seven years later, Crave It yeah. has what, like a thousand plus downloads. That was our conversation a couple of weeks ago. I imagine it's yeah, double yeah, now. It's yeah. So it's like, <laughs> it's really, really exciting to, to watch. So what's next for it? What's next for you yeah. and what's next for, you know, that I, I'm looking forward to this clothing line, Bomani Mints, yeah. whatever that comes out <laughs> in the future. Obviously that's coming in the, you know, that's coming. Yeah. The Crave It <laughs> merchandise is coming actually. I'm still not, uh, I'm going to have to get a t-shirt. Things in my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, what's next is just uh, getting more people on the platform, uh, improving the platform, um, raising some new capital. We're excited to to start um, that process again. And um, is that going to be crowdfunded or private? It's going to be private. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be private. And um, yeah, there's going to be some really cool things that we're going to build out that helps people get even more connected in the community uh especially like on like a localized level too mm-hmm. um and some uh some dope partnerships um that we have in the the works that um will be unlike anything else people have seen mm. before mm. okay that's all i'll say <laughs> I, i'm looking forward to seeing that now what's the decision for you know because crowdfunding is something that's popping out and i'm not huge into vc or investing as of now like that's the sure. next stage of my journey, eventually getting yeah, down into angel yeah. investments awesome. and venture capital. Like that's what I'm working towards. But yeah. what is the decision to not do a crowdfunding model of let's actually, you know, have maybe the community fund it or have private investors who are like coming forward through like WeFunder and that sort of thing. Like, cause yeah, that, that's yeah, the most yeah, notable yeah. example I can think of versus the decision to do in traditional, maybe private investors. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I think it's personal preference for the entrepreneur. I initially, when we raised our first round of capital, I wanted to do crowdfunding, but one of my like friends and mentors sort of discouraged me from doing it just because of the, I guess the unknown of how much people are going to give and how much money you could raise versus like sort of being a little bit more methodical in Mm raising capital, having meetings and conversations. I think like it's, it's uh, anyone can do it. I guess one of the other challenges of crowdfunding is like, depending upon your company and if you need venture capital or not, which is a whole different conversation, but like if you don't raise what you set out to raise or exceed it and then try and raise like venture capital or something else, then it kind of is like, your market isn't even willing to back this. Mm. You're not able to raise enough money. Why should we? Right. That's so a great point. It's like it's it's dangerous, right? And then it's also like uh you're giving a lot of information up about what you're doing. Oftentimes, you know, for these, like a lot of tech companies don't do this. You'll see, you know, consumer products um do these funding, which makes sense because it's like the product's the product, like here's a toothbrush, like, you know, how we built that toothbrush is whatever, but like for IP and tech, like it's a lot, you have to be a lot more vulnerable with these things. Um, so that was sort of one of the reasons like why we ended up not doing it. Who knows, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do one like in the future, but like 
at the moment, like I don't see also, it's like, I don't really like have relationships with my investors and, you know, with the crowdfunding, there could be, you know, hundreds of different investors that are just on like one line of the cap table, which is fine, but it's like, it's uh, relationships are important to me. Um, and I want to know like who's on my cap table and I want to know them and like they're, you know, who they are as a person. Like, obviously I won't be able to communicate with every single person every single week but like some of the big ones yeah like absolutely personal relationships for sure yeah and a lot of those people people, betting on you right and those are the people who also are well networked with other people who could potentially expand that and you have a very good balance between having your head in the clouds and being very down to earth and very methodical you have this very (laughs) fine balance that that, you know you don't see too often man it's like you have this like big vision of like we're going here but yeah, you're also yeah. like, I do need to have a sense of method behind what I'm uh-huh. doing. Was there like an instance in your life that kind of made you into that? Or were you always kind of that kid who was like, I'm a, I'm a plan out, you know, my future to a degree, or was there something that yeah, just like I an experience it, that kind of knocked you down? I feel like it kind of just like evolved. I was like, yeah, like it only carries over to should I care about? Okay. <laughs> it's not everything, <laughs> but like stuff that I care, it's like, yeah like vacation like plan i'm like i like to like plan stuff out because i want to have fun and have the experience i also realized that like that's carried over to like the startup world and um yeah i feel like just give me the answers to the test and i'll figure out how to get the like just tell me what i need to do like why does it have to be like this facade or like mysterious just like tell me you know and like i'll work towards doing it but like so that's why I kind of like try and be more methodical. And then like a lot of things I've just learned throughout like the startup journey, like what we're, what we're releasing now. And this is like really funny as a founder, like, cause people always are like, oh, like, why didn't you do this? Or why doesn't it have this feature or all of that? And like, you know, you're a founder and it's like, what's funny is like, whatever a founder releases is the most watered down version of their idea ever. You think like a founder is like, hey what I have today is like that's it like that is so far-fetched and it's like I learned throughout this journey even like before releasing it is like we had a completely different um platform that we were going to launch and we ended up deciding to um pull back like three-fifths of that because it was too much for Mm -hmm. users when they first started so like if people understand the vision we're going to get there but we can't start with that on day one it's almost like if Instagram launched with every feature that they have now, stories, messaging, video, reels, blah, 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 versus just like, hey, just take a photo photo of what you like, right? So that's the gap that we're sort of filling, not to say that we're following Instagram's vision, but I'm trying to get people to realize like where Instagram is today and where they were, because people forget that. That makes sense. You know, of how long it took to get to where it is. And even today, man, it feels like Instagram has one too many features. If I'm just being real, I get lost on the yeah, app. I'm like, yeah. where I'm at, how many, t- you know, how many times yeah. I swipe over to get to this page? Like, how do I get out? You know, um, yeah, but no, yeah, it's like, yeah. you don't, you don't start out flying private, you know, you start flying yeah. out economy yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you're flying on spirit and then you might move to, you know, <laughs> you know, American yeah. airlines and you might go United afterwards, you know? And it's like, I love that's, that. yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's kind of an example one. of how it is. You know, I'm what I'm thinking, that, one. that one's really good. I mean, some people, it's all yours. Some it's all yours. Can, you know, f- fly private from day one, but that, that's not everybody. <laughs> that's not a story I want to talk about because that's just yeah. boring. You know, I want to talk yeah. about the nitty gritty because I'm thinking about it, man. You know, when I first got started, I I was bootstrapping everything. And I mean, I'm yeah, still bootstrapping same. everything to this yeah. day, but I bought a used iPhone, you know, off of eBay. Yeah. And I used that iPhone 7 Plus for four years until I recently just upgraded. I'm like, yeah. you know, you start and then you scale up, you build up, you build up, you build up. And then eventually you get to a point where you're like, you have everything you need. And then you're able to continue scaling and improving the equipment and getting better and improving the quality. And it's like with the application, the other thing about features that people don't understand from a creator stand, standpoint and from a founder standpoint is when you're dealing with an application, you put yeah. one line of code in that can jack every other line exactly. of code out too. And there's yeah, coding yeah. that goes involved. And this is something, you know, there's another social media network um, that I've been on for quite some time that is an entirely different space called Entra, which is specifically yeah, yeah. for entrepreneurship. And it's like, they've had so many different features they want to roll out, but it's been steady rollout because 
they do one thing, the messaging messes up. They put in another mm-hmm. line of code. It's like something else jacks. And it's right. like, if yeah. you want to provide that good experience and build up that community, it's like, we're getting there guys, like, like stay yeah. on board. So, well, Bonnie, yeah. man, I want to be respectful of your time, but this has been a fantastic conversation and Thanks I'm super excited to see, man. you know, where the app goes, where can people support you? Where can people support Crave It? Yeah, all all things social. I'm on LinkedIn, Bomani Mints. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Bomani Mints, aka the future of food. I'm on uh, Link or uh, Instagram, Bolife90. I'm trying to think of what else I'm on. I think that those are like the main ones. And then you can follow Crave It on TikTok. Just Crave It. You can follow Crave It on Instagram, CraveIt.co, Twitter, Crave It. Um, beautiful, fun-looking, smiley face, uh, CraveIt.co. Um, download us in the, the play and, and app store. Um, if you DM me directly, I'll give you an invite code. We're invite code only right now. Um, but yeah, all, all things considered, thanks so much for the opportunity. And, you know, you can find Crave it on any social, social platform and, you know, same, same with me as well. Yeah. Appreciate your yeah. love and support. But money, man, I just want to congratulate you too, before we, before we wrap this up, because I saw that on TikTok, a video just recently hit 9.1 million views. If I, if yeah, I saw the screenshot, correct? Oh my gosh. Shit. Such a blessing. Yeah. Man. That hats off to, to, uh, to Ish for believing in that and then Jason for executing on, uh, on TikTok. Cause we were at 36 followers like three weeks ago. Yeah. Now we, you're, now you're at 12K. At 12K. Yeah. 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 It's crazy, <laughs> That's man. The power and of it. Yeah. You know, even if you're, even if you're not somebody who is interested in food or anything, uh-huh. I would just start following the journey just to watch them scale and hit a billion dollar mark in the next decade, because this is going to be exciting to watch because I can definitely see this going places. So man, thank you again. It's been an honor. Yeah. And uh, Guys, make sure to be on the lookout for new episodes every Monday and interviews with amazing people like Bomani every single Friday. And do me a favor, go to the app store, go to Google play, download, crave it message Bomani. It takes a very humble man. Who's a founder of a social media network to give you an invite and say, hit me up. (laughs) So that's a testament to, to this guy and this guy's character. So appreciate it and much love.